Welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week, we've got news from Atlassian, including updates to portfolio. We'll be taking a look at updates to scroll office and a discussion about the reluctant project manager. I'm Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined today by Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell. Matthew, Brenda, hi there. Hey. Good to see you, Ryan. Good to see you as well. So on to the Atlassian news. Pretty cool news from Atlassian this week. Um, there's been a, a pretty significant update to Jira Portfolio, which now will allow users to schedule items by target start and end date for items that have been unestimated in their scope. So what does that mean to members of the community? I mean, I think there's a couple of things here. Uh Previously, a lot of project managers or people working with portfolio, they would have to provide a fake estimate, like a, a default estimate. We didn't actually know how long this would take. We're just going to take a swing at it so that we can have it in the Gantt chart view so that we can see it in here and we kind of guess. Um, being able to put start and end date um, makes that a little bit easier. But even more importantly, you get a shading difference between the unestimated and estimated items. So it makes it easier to identify what are the things where we need to get input from the team back and actually make this accurate like it, it gives you a real easy indication yeah i'm just making this up yeah that's one thing that i run into a lot is you know there are a lot of variables in play here i don't know exactly when this is going to happen um and that's uh, that difference in shading is is really important because i can see at a glance okay i need to go back and maybe now i have information that i didn't when i was building out this plan i can see right away here are things that i need to take a look at What's another feature you guys would like to see them add to portfolio that could help scheduling for project managers? I, what I would love to see next is a, a better way to address dependencies, uh, both creating like mapping dependencies and just managing them. Uh, we're currently going through for Adaptivist Learn writing a portfolio course. And uh, Krista on my team is just pulling her hair out, trying to work with dependencies. She keeps like breaking portfolio and having all kinds of weird problems with it. And uh, I, this, the scheduling on estimated items actually really helps for that. Uh, being able to do better dependency mapping would be a nice improvement. Brenda, what about you? I'm inclined to agree with Matthew. That's something that you know, any project manager is going to have to deal with, and, and it is a struggle in portfolio. So, you know, as Matthew said, this unestimated, uh, these updates really do make a difference, but uh, dependency mapping is kind of, you know, the bane of one's existence at times. On to an Atlassian-related news article. The Software Development Times published a piece recently, and you'll find a link to that piece in the SoundCloud description, where they discuss Atlassian's move towards larger dependency on software as a service and also listed out discussed their core portfolio of offerings um and we found that something was missing matthew what did what what did your eagle eyes spot <laughs> i just thought it was interesting towards the end of the article when they list atlassian's core products we've got jira software and confluence bitbucket trello no mention of fisheye crucible and uh, in some of the customer conversations I've been having and, and some of the things that we're looking at in terms of writing dev tools training, uh, we're hearing more and more. One, uh, Atlassian doesn't seem to be shipping updates for FetGrew. Uh, it it's, doesn't seem to be a product that's getting a lot of love. And a lot of the, the role that Fisheye and Crucible played together, Bitbucket is doing more and more. 
Uh, is it, Brenda, with the customers that you're talking with, uh, what are they, you know, are they still using FetCrew or, or what are you seeing? So we see a lot of customers who are using FetCrew, um, but we're hearing the same things. They're not seeing updates. They don't necessarily feel like it's being supported or updated. Um, and, and I think that what we're starting to get the impression of, and, and, and we're seeing this again and again and again, um, is that there's this subtle push toward Bitbucket. So clients that are using FetGru are generally pretty happy with it. They're staying with it for the time being, but there's this sort of sense of, we feel at some point that we're going to have to make a shift. Yeah. And when you mentioned software as a service, Ryan, Bitbucket Cloud in particular, I hear really good things about. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Atlassian server fan. I like the server versions of Jira and Confluence. I prefer them. But uh, Bitbucket in the cloud with its agent management and everything else, like as a non-developer, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm impressed by it. And it sounds like a, a good product. And I think Atlassian is investing more there. We saw some very interesting upcoming features for Bitbucket Cloud as well from Atlassian team member Jeff Thomas at an AUG recently. Um, so it was, it, was, it, was, it was neat to see. Again, I'm not, I'm not into the, I have no idea what those things mean, but it was, it, I did see the significance for the people in the room who use those tools. They were, their ears were perked up. Another interesting thing from that article is that it seems to me that Atlassian's really committed now to not keeping up feature parity between cloud and server. That's sort of been, that's, that's just something they've maybe decided that isn't so important. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see that so much in this article, but that's definitely something that uh, we are seeing at Adaptivist uh, and that we're hearing from from customers that we're talking with Atlassian about even uh, this greater divergence between their server products and the cloud. Uh, we've known for a couple of years now since cloud launched that Atlassian is shipping features to the cloud quickly. They're testing them out. And the idea was that they would test them in the cloud. And once they were approved, they would come to server. And uh, I don't think that's the model anymore. I think that there are features that are going to be cloud only, and there will be some that are server only, and we're going to see greater and greater diversions between the two. And that's going to be a real challenge, especially for our customers that come to us who are looking to migrate to the Atlassian tool set from other tools. Um, we get a lot of people who come to us and go, do we want cloud or do we want server? And, and you know, right now it's, well, here are the reasons you would choose server over cloud. Um, and, and we're looking at things like user base, size of attachments, add-ons that they're using. And that's a fairly easy conversation in some cases. Um, but in others, it's, you know, it's essentially the same feature set. So if your security policies are that you must use cloud tools or that you must use on-premise tools, that makes your decision for you. Mm -hmm. But as we start to get into a point where we start to see divergent features, we're going to have to have more and more challenging conversations when someone comes to us and says, what do I want to use as well? You have to be aware that these are things that cloud can do that server can or cannot. And when you are in a situation where you're limited by your security policies to one or the other, you may end up missing out on features that you would have if you could have used the other uh, model. And it makes that migration from cloud to server or vice versa even harder. Yeah, that's um, a challenge. Because it's already really painful, but it, it raises the stakes of that initial decision. If you go to one over the other, moving between them is just going to get harder as time goes on. Yeah. So I want to focus on something that Brenda mentioned there. She, she mentioned security concerns. And that brings us to an article that was also another Atlassian article in the Investment Times. And it was, it was a fairly 
top-level view of Atlassian as a business and what they do and how they are landing and expanding in different companies. But there were some certainly interesting things at the end of that article about cybersecurity. And we all know that this is a big, important topic. Everyone is is concerned about it these days. The Office of Cybersecurity is the hot new job, according to LinkedIn. I don't know if it's a new job, but it is a job. Uh, so how does Atlassian address that? I, my experience has been that they address it they address it well, uh, and they do it through communication, which is really kind of their bread and butter. Um, I've been working with the Atlassian tools for over a decade now. And uh, whenever they've had a, a security risk, like if, if um, I recall, there was a, a big cross-site scripting uh, vulnerability confluence many years ago. There have been other vulnerabilities. And they've been forthright. They've gotten the information out. They've released a patch for the server that's a full upgrade. And um, for those of you who are the, the Atlassian admins, you know those upgrades are sometimes painful and time-consuming. Um, they're better than they used to be, but certainly back in the day, they were, they were really challenging. They'd also release a hotfix. And so it would be replace this file, restart. You're pretty good. You should upgrade it, your, you know, your next upgrade window. So I, you know, in terms of a potential risk to Atlassian's business when it comes to cybersecurity, I think they've been doing a good job. Uh, they're in good shape there. We see that as well. They're very transparent. You know, here's here's something that needs to be patched. Here's the patch. Um, we we have done some work recently with customers where um, you know they're government agencies or they have to have a very stringent compliance. Um, <clears throat> we've done some work with here's a Fortify report on the Atlassian tools. We're going to go through all these uh, warnings and errors and, and are these actual security issues or not. Um, and, and Atlassian is very responsive on that. So I, I think that, you know, I agree with Matthew. They do a really good job of being transparent and responsive to any issues that do crop up. Moving on to partner news. Recently, Adaptivist published a two-part blog with good software, which talks about best practices for building effective, clutter-free, and scalable Confluence content. Of course, you'll find these links in the SoundCloud description. Um, but I think this is great, great advice, right? Tip one on the good software blog has been something that I've been advocating for um, every time I'd, I have spoke with people about how to get the most out of Confluence. And that is sim- it's so great. Create simple, clear, and engaging space homepages. Why are you on this space? Make that painfully obvious and something good will come out of it. You know, what did you guys get from those articles? This is a beautiful set of articles. I I saw these and just my heart swelled with joy. These are questions that people ask us all the time. And it's, it's, you know, it's a challenge. You you have this nice, clean confluence instance, and then you let people into it. And you know what happens then? Suddenly, you don't have a nice, clean confluence instance. So this is one of those things that people come to us and go, how do we implement governance policies? How do we, you know, what are things that we can do to keep things from getting out of hand? These articles are concise tips on exactly that. Here are the things that you can do uh, and how to do it. and, And, you know, these beautiful screenshots and these clear descriptions, you know, this is almost something that I, I would, when someone comes to me with those questions, I just want to give them these URLs. Just here's these two blog posts, read these, you don't even need us. Um, and so this, just having that all in one place was, was really great. Yeah, a lot of it is about uh, not just, you know, styling or things like that. It's, it's fairly comprehensive. Uh, you know, tip three on good software site, make data informed decisions with analytics. For anybody who's had to talk to me, 
about uh, their Jira configuration. <laughs> sat in one of my classes. I'm all about data-driven decision-making. And they quote Edwards Deming, who writes, in God we trust, all others must bring data. Uh, you know, Deming is like my hero. I, I reference him in a lot of different stuff. I've read his books. Uh, I love his work. Um, invented the, or, you know, kind of invented the census process for the U.S. and really revolutionized that. Uh, and then it, uh, went to Japan and helped uh, the Japanese automakers uh, improve their process. And we've seen how that turns out. These data-driven decision-making and using that for making your stuff better, it's not just qualitative, but it's quantitative. And then it's taking action based on that. It's not enough to observe. You then have to take action. So you sort of roll from good software to adaptivist articles. And we use our tool, Script Runner, to help automate a lot of that. Identify what content is stale, figure out what needs to be updated, um, and uh, you know, improve, you know, the performance of your Confluence site, improve uh, just in terms of speed and responsiveness, uh, improve, you know, the, the articles that you have. It's all about continuous improvement, which really is what Deming was all about. Stale content, I think, is one of the, the main pain points that, that I encounter, at least. You know, there's, there's nothing worse than searching through Confluence and going, well, here's an article that may have the information I'm looking for, but it hasn't been updated since 2010 things change. Maybe this is the right content. Maybe it's not. And then I either have to, I have to make a decision of, do I use this content? Do I try to find out how valid this content is? Or do I make the assumption that it's changed? And, and what I find myself doing as well, if it's older than about a, you know, a year, it's probably way out of date and I can just ignore it. So you really run into the challenge of maybe the content's valid, but that, that date just you know, people are going to discard it because it's so old. Um, and having tools and automation that will help you address stale content is is going to be, you know, a huge game changer for a lot of our customers. And speaking of beautiful content, if you want exports from Confluence to look even better, K15T has made some massive improvements to their Scroll Office product. Um, I am very excited about this because I work a lot in document in the documentation space. Being able to make something that we're going to send to a client look engaging and sophisticated is is a really uh, satisfying thing to me. Just being able to customize the fonts of the output is awesome. I feel like it's worth mentioning, Ryan, that uh, Adaptivist Live it's not a, it's not an advertisement. We we actually did not talk to K fifteen T or. Uh, <laughs> These companies before are doing this. We just like their stuff. It's we use Scroll Office. It, it makes our lives easier, and uh, and this is a really neat update here in terms of improving your styling, um, and you know the integrations that they've that they've been building. But in all fairness, I mean, I'm always looking for that side hustle. So you know, if you're listening to this, holla at your boy. Sorry, Brenda, go ahead. I was I was just going to say you know this is something that I'm using every day and it's not necessarily that I'm actively changing the uh, the fonts or any of the export settings but I work every day in documents that I'm going to export to a particular format to send out to people and I don't have to think I just go we've done this styling in the way that we know is going to work it's taken care of already I'm not going to have to do any work following you know I've written my stuff I can just export it and send it. And I know it's in the format it needs to be. Um, if I had to spend time with every document going back and making changes, I'd tear my hair out. So this, this is one that, that makes my life easier every single day. I don't know what I would do without it. 
Well, that is certainly high praise. Another very cool thing that came along with this update was integration with Kamala workflows. Like we mentioned with Good and Adaptivist, seeing partners work together in synchronicity. It's just lovely. So earlier in the podcast, we were talking about improvements to Jira portfolio. But in the partner space, there's been another new release that is worth your attention, we think. And that is ALM Works has introduced Structure Gantt Chart. I have seen this. I, I have the, uh, the unique privilege of being friends with some of the ALM guys. And I got to see what this was going to look like at last year's U.S. Summit. Um, and this is exciting because it, it, it introduces a whole other level of flexibility to the users of structure. And I think that this is something that you could combine with some of the other tools to make project management with the Atlassian suite even more powerful. And again, you know, we didn't speak with ALM Works or anything prior to this podcast, but this is another thing that we recommend to people on a, on a fairly ongoing basis is uh, structure in general. Um, I had I had the opportunity to see a demo of Structure Gantz um, at an AUG, and you know, being a project manager, seeing that sort of thing, it's like when when is this coming out? People want this. When can we have this? Um, you know, we work in agile methodologies. We work with people who work in waterfall methodologies, but we we do see people who are looking for some sort of Gantt chart, regardless of your methodology that you're using. And this is the sort of thing that, you know, especially if you already have structure, because it's free if you do, um, you know, take a look at it, play around with it, because it's going to give you, um, you know, a good way to give you that chart. You know, invariably someone's going to go, I want a Gantt chart, where is it? So that's the sort of thing that, you know, this is, this is going to be really useful to a lot, of, a lot of people. All right, that's some, some cool news. So while we were preparing for this week's episode of the podcast or, or this bi-weekly episode of the podcast, I ran into an article that I thought both Brenda and Matthew would enjoy. And that was about reluctant project managers, because these two are heavyweight project managers who, um, who really, really, you know, have, have a lot of experience and a lot of love for the craft. If you couldn't tell by Matthew's uh, talk about Deming earlier. (laughs) So what did you think of this article guys? You know, uh, not to not to cast aspersions on Tech Republic uh, or the author, uh, I I kind of found it a little offensive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's a rude article, but it, it just it felt like it was written by somebody who's not really a project manager to other people who aren't project managers who don't know what project managers do. And, and maybe just, don't want to be project managers. Yeah, don't want to be. And it's setting them up for failure. It feels like an article. It's just like, if you just believe enough, I, it, it reminds me, I was, I, was, um, I was at a high school recently and there was a, a poster, you know, one of those inspirational posters. It was in a mathematics classroom. Uh-oh. And it was like, it was something like, if you just try hard enough. And I was like, this is mathematics. Like it's straightforward. You either get it right. You don't, it doesn't matter how hard you try. It matters if you got the equation, right? We got to bring you in as a, was as an, a motivational speaker, dude, <laughs> <laughs> be open to new opportunities and, uh, be prepared to do more. And I was like, yeah, if you don't know what you're doing, you're setting your project up for failure. So the items in this article are good advice in general. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a thing. I need to know what I'm committing to. I, I need to be, I need to be ready to do more in the project. I, that, that applies to everybody. Um, I think that 
the one thing this article could have had was, you know, if you're finding yourself in the role of project manager and, and this is not your forte or you've never done it before, yes, of course, it's great to believe in yourself, but do some research into project management. There are a lot of blog posts that Lassian puts stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff out there that is going to help you project manage. Um, you know, this is how, how, how to, how to job, you know, that sort of thing. It's, <laughs> You know, just some some basic understanding of what project management is is going to help someone who has you know been given the task. I think what what the author meant by reluctant project manager is someone who has found themselves thrust into this role unexpectedly. And, and this happens to people all the time. The first thing that I, I would say to anybody in that role is do a little research into what you're being asked to do. And and yes, it's important to you know, believe in yourself. Um, but that's, that's feel good stuff. You know, you, you've got a good team, be aware of the team. You're going to have to understand your team, but also you're going to have to understand things like tracking and planning and scheduling. And you don't just know how to do that and you don't get it by feeling good about yourself. So I, I it's a good article for anybody. It's not necessarily good advice specific to project managers. So I feel like it sort of sells itself short by, by focusing on project managers in general. Itself, yeah. Yeah, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, but I'm a reluctant project manager. I don't know what to do with this. Uh, like Brenda said, Atlassian's got some good blog posts. I would direct you to check out the stuff by Dan Radigan. Um, he really focuses on Agile. So if you're in the Agile space, um, that'll be good for you. If you're in Waterfall, maybe a bit less so. But if you're using the Atlassian tools, you can't go wrong with that. And there's there's a lot of stuff on Atlassian's blog that is really high quality um, dealing with how to use their tools. And yeah, there's a ton of good books out there uh, as well. All right, so we want to wrap this week's podcast up with a little bit of news of the wild. And if you haven't seen this, I highly recommend taking a moment to do a Google search. But uh, there's a there's a celestial body now that happens to be a, an electric car. There's a Tesla in space. Brenda, tell us a little bit about the Tesla. So unless you've been living under a rock for the last couple of weeks, you probably are aware that SpaceX did their first launch of the Falcon Heavy. Um, and, you know, Elon Musk was quoted somewhere as saying, you know, rationally, I think that it's, you know, or, or in my heart, I feel like it's a 75% chance of success. Rationally, it's 50-50. This thing is massive and it could blow up. And so nobody really wanted to put a payload on it understandably. And so Musk decided that obviously the thing to do is to put his personal Tesla Roadster on it. Um, so of course there's an empty spacesuit, the Starman, um, and the plan was to put it into orbit, uh, playing uh, David Bowie's Starman, which is very appropriate, and then set it on a course to put it into Mars orbit. Um, obviously the launch was a spectacular success. Um, they landed the two smaller rockets in unison. They're just showing off at that point. Uh, but if you haven't seen the videos of them landing those two rockets next to each other, it's a thing of beauty. The Tesla is, so the, the burn to put it into Mars orbit, they actually overshot and it's headed to the asteroid belt. NASA is actually now tracking this Tesla. Uh, it, it's in NASA's catalog of celestial bodies. And I've seen some really spectacular footage like from the space telescope. So this little dot of light just streaking across the field. Um, so it's, it's really, it's one of those things that it's like Tesla doesn't advertise what a hell of a car commercial, <laughs> who doesn't want a Tesla after seeing these photos of the Starman in a Tesla Roadster in earth orbit. It was just incredible. And it, it's one of those things that's like, this is, 
this is insane. It's ridiculous. Why would anybody do this? And it is so freaking cool that we did this. Yeah, where we're going, we don't need roads. (laughs) We just need a roadster. All right, everybody. Well, for Matthew Stubblefield, Brenda Burrell, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and this has been Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again in two weeks.